Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do great work. And you can find out more and give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Walter Blank. Very interesting story. He's from the American Federation for Children. We'll also visit with Michael Cannon, Director of Health Policy Study at the Cato Institute. Seton Motley is the founder and president of Les Government. Always appreciate his commentary, as well as former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett, will be joining us as well. It is August the 25th, and on this day in 325 A.D., the Council of Nicaea, the first ecumenical debate held by the early Christian Church, concluded with the establishment of the Doctrine of the Holy Trinity, uh, convened by Roman Emperor Constantine I in May. The Council also deemed the Arian belief of Christ is inferior to God as heretical, thus resolving an early Church crisis. The controversy began when Arius, an Alexandrian priest, questioned the full divinity of Christ because, unlike God, Christ was born and had a beginning. What began as an academic theological debate spread to the Christian congregations throughout the empire, threatening a schism in the early Christian church. Roman Emperor Constantine I, who converted to Christianity in 312, called bishops from all over the empire to resolve the crisis and urged the adoption of a new creed that would uh, resolve the ambiguities between Christ and God. Meeting in Nicaea in present-day Turkey, the council established the uh, quality of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the Holy Trinity and asserted that the only Son of God became incarnate as Jesus Christ. The Arian leaders were subsequently banished from the church for heresy. Emperor Constantine presided in, uh, over the opening of the council and contributed to the discussion. So again, the institutionalization of the church uh, as early as 325, and of course you can see right now there's still a difference between the uh, East, uh, Eastern Orthodox and uh, the Western Church as well. Many differences, but irrespective, the Catholic Church looks at uh, a one holy church. Uh, such an interesting story. Well, on Wednesday, President Joe Biden formally announced the cancellation of $10,000 of student debt per borrower and stressed the importance of higher education despite skyrocketing tuition costs. He did not address lowering tuition costs or that it may be unfair to, to borrowers who paid their loans despite difficulties and without forgiveness, or fathers like myself who paid the full boat for his kids to go to school. Where's my $10,000? Anyhow, what's with my what my administration is going to do? Provide more breathing room for people who are less burdened by student debt and, quite frankly, to fix the system itself, he said. He stressed three factors in the plan to reduce the burden of student debt. First, going to make an incredible progress advancing American economic recovery. <laughs> he really said that. We've wound down pandemic relief programs like the ones on unemployment insurance and small businesses. It's time that we do the same for student loans. Student loan payment paused is is going to uh, at year end. It's going to end at year end on December the 31st. And uh, so it's time for payments to resume. Second in my campaign for president, I made a commitment. I made a commitment that we provide student debt relief, and I'm honoring that commitment today using the authority that Congress granted me to, uh, granted to the Department of Education. We'll forgive $10,000 in outstanding federal loans 
In addition, students who come from low-income families, which allowed them to qualify for a Pell Grant, will also have their debt reduced by $20,000, said Biden. Both both of these, uh, and by the way, this whole Congress approving this, uh, apparently they're trying to construct uh, the Emergency Act uh, that allowed, for example, the cessation of payments allowed the president to do that. They're claiming this will allow them to do it. Actually, it requires an act of Congress, but we'll see how this turns out. Anyhow, uh, both of the targeted actions are for families who need it the most. Working and middle class hit especially hard during the pandemic, making under $125,000 a year. You make more than that and you don't qualify. Well, $250,000 for a married couple. No high-income individual or high-income household on top of the 5%. In the 5% of incomes, by the way, we benefit from the action period. Biden said that around 90% of those who qualify for the relief make under $75,000 a year. In addition to the uh, initial $10,000, if you got a Pell Grant, you could get up to $20,000 of relief. He stressed that 95% of borrowers would benefit from the actions, 95%, and of the 43 million borrowers that would have paid debt canceled, roughly 60% of those, 27 million people, are Pell Grant borrowers. Wow. it's a lot of tamales. Nearing 45, nearly 45% of people who took out federal student loans would have the entirety of their federal student loans canceled under this action. Wow. Here's the deal. The cost of education beyond high school has gone up significantly. The total cost is to attend public school four-year university has tripled, nearly tripled in 40 years. Instead of property funding, uh, properly funding uh, public colleges, many states have cut back their support. Well, of course, that's not true here in Florida. Under Governor Scott, we really improved the ed- public education system and uh, made sure that there were metrics to hold uh, public education accountable uh, for good results. In his third point, Biden said that his administration would be fixing the student loan program itself. Students would have to pay, uh, be capped at 5% of their discretionary income for loan payments, down from 10%. He also said that 20 years after 20 years, a borrower's payment obligation would be reached and no further payment would be required. Biden also said his administration would be fixing the public service loan forgiveness program, which encourages graduates to pursue public service in exchange for forgiven loans. It's a great idea, but the program's a mess, he said, the current one in place, he said, so it's inefficient and complicated. Too many people just give up on it. So towards the end of the speech, Biden conceded that many people may not be happy with his plan. I understand that not everyone, not everyone is, I'm announcing today is going to make everybody happy. Something is too much. I find it interesting how some of my Republican friends, you know, does he have any Republican friends? Anyhow, some of my Republican friends have voted for these tax cuts and others think we shouldn't be helping these folks. Something is too little, but I believe my plan is, is responsible and fair. I'm sure you do, President Biden. Anyhow. Uh, Last year, just last year, Pelosi poured cold water on the idea, saying that such a move was something reserved for an act of Congress, not the executive. People think the president of the United States has the power for for debt forgiveness. He does not. He can postpone, he can delay, but he does not have this power. That should be an act of Congress, said Pelosi. I think she's right on that. I don't agree with her with much, but I think she's right on that. She also questioned whether the policy was fair, and of course, I don't think it is. President Joe Biden's unilateral plan to cancel of student debt for certain borrowers will bust the federal budget. Some historically high inflation rocketing still higher, and saddle taxpayers with up to uh, this one estimate here by the GOP and the budget uh, watchdogs. 
$600 billion will be the, the ticket, the cost for uh, this program under Biden. Uh, uh, so we, I guess it's Wharton University said it should be about $300 billion, but $300 billion is still a lot of money. But so between $300 and $600 billion, maybe more. Arkansas Representative uh, uh, Senator uh, John Boozman on a Wednesday called President Biden's student loan debt forgiveness a plant a gift to his political base just 76 days before the November midterm election. Well, nothing could be more actual. That's true, in, in fact. So this is really <laughs> buying votes. Just look at the timing. And by the way, uh, First Lady Jill Biden tested positive Wednesday for COVID-19 and what has increasingly become known as rebound infection of the virus after she's already recovered from it. The rebound positivity comes just weeks after President Joe Biden experienced his own rebound of his COVID infection, testing positive for the virus multiple days after his infection appeared to resolve itself. Uh, I'm supposed to play golf with a good friend of mine today and uh, you know what? He has a rebound case as well. So that's uh, just there's sooner or later, all this is going to come out in the wash. We're going to find out these vaccines did very little good. And quite frankly, I think are doing continuing harm uh, for uh, folks that have taken the vaccine. I don't don't wish any ill will on anybody, but uh, I'm concerned about it. Well, a Michigan a jury convicted two men of conspiring to kidnap Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer in 2020. The two men, Adam Fox and Barry Croft Jr., were also found guilty of conspiring to obtain a weapon of mass destruction, such as a bomb to destroy a bridge near the governor's vacation home. The two men were on trial for the second time after a jury in April could not reach a unanimous ver verdict. That trial also found two other men not guilty in alleged attempting uh, kidnapping. Prosecutors made their closing arguments on Monday with Assistant U.S. Gener uh, Attorney General, Attorney, I should say, Niels, Niels Kessler. The defendants were not outside a woman's house in the midnight of night and were the, the night vision goggles and guns and a plan to kidnap her. That made a real bomb. That's fair enough, isn't it? In other words, they're saying the evidence is there. The defense argued that the FBI entrapped the men in the plot. The government picked up what it knew would be a sensational charge, conspiracy to kidnap the governor, the attorney wrote. Assistant Attorney General Kessler urged jurors to focus on the two men had allegedly said prior to the introduction of the undercover FBI agents and inform information inside the group of the, that summer, rejecting the argument the men were entrapped by the government agency. According to Cranes Detroit, the invest investigation started when Army, Army veteran Dan Chappell became a member of the Michigan paramilitary group. He became alarmed at one of the members talking about killing the police. Chappell made an agreement with the FBI to become an informant. So a uh, couple of men that were in the, on the there, I think there are five men in the in the uh, van when they rode up there. At least two of them were FBI uh, informants. Uh, uh, these men would have uh, they, they decided immediately to retry them. They wanted to get a guilty verdict. For some reason, the judge decided that uh, the defense could only uh, ha interview uh, anyone for twenty five minutes. Now, that's never happened at a trial before. It only took seven hours for, by the way, the jury chairman uh, uh, said uh, that she was a never-Trumper and uh, 
so in other words, I think the fix was in on this. The FBI had to walk away at least with some pride on this thing. And I think uh, this is going to go to an appeal, of course. And I think these two guys are going to get off because, again, this is, again, the FBI was so deeply implicated in making this happen that uh, it was just so incredible that, uh, that these guys were found guilty. It, there's just so many irregularities in the trial and how this whole thing was resolved. They, they were only uh, in deliberation for seven hours after the information was presented. In the uh, America, FBI is not supposed to create domestic terrorists so that the FBI can arrest them, said Fox attorney Christopher Gibbons. The FBI isn't supposed to create a conspiracy so the FBI can stand up and claim a disruption. So right about that. The whole thing has been so politicized, and it's really a shame. Uh, President, former President Donald Trump called the plot a fake deal. He's certainly right about that. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Life in Naples magazine, be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples the website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Walter Blank. Really interesting story about uh, he's representing the American Federation for Children. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help the senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252-4541. 
Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. Choice Social is a new, refreshing social networking platform. And you can find out more and download the app by visiting the website choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to visit with Michael Cato Institute. Right now we have with us Walter Blank. He represents the American Federation for Children. Walter, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. My pleasure indeed, Walter. Tell us about the American Federation for Children. Yes. So AFC is a um, organization that solely believes that every child, regardless of uh, zip code, um, economic background or skin color, that they deserve uh, the best education possible. And so if the school that they are zoned to, their traditional uh, public school is not um, serving them well or serving their needs, uh, parents should be able to to vote with their feet and, and take those uh, those dollars that are already already there to educate the children and use those um, in any way they see fit when it comes to their child's education. So that could be for um, private school tuition or additional tutoring or supplies or whatever that child may need. And it gives parents the flexibility to individualize um, their, their child's learning experience. So AFC does that in, in a lot of different ways. Uh, me being a school choice uh, beneficiary, it's been really cool to be on the front line as someone who has um, experienced it firsthand. And so um, AFC is is all over the country doing work with with legislators um, and, and politicians and elected officials who who genuinely care about the future of of our nation, which is which is our children. Yeah, yeah, you do great work. You do uh, very important work too. And I'm proud to say here in Florida that we're a leader in terms of school choice. And uh, we continue to improve on that. Walter, you have such an interesting background. Uh, this, uh, your parents' ability to make a choice for you uh, had some great results. Maybe you could tell us about it. Yeah, of course. I grew up in the inner city of Columbus, Ohio, low-income community, low-income family. And so, uh, of course, the, the public school um, had, had a lot of issues. And so I, I was surrounded by poverty, crime, and, and low expectations. I had... Um, people that I knew in my in my classrooms who were um, in, involved in gangs and, and other illegal activities. Mm. And I just knew that that was something that I did not want to to be a part of. It all really uh, came came full circle when my mom got a call from the principal that I was in a fight and a little scuffle. And um, I ended up having my shirt ripped off of me, a bloody nose. And um, she came to the school. And the principal told her, if you just give us five years, we can we can turn the school around for Walter. And ultimately, the, the high school that I would have been uh, attending, they said, we'll, we'll get the middle school together. We'll get the high school together. And this will be a better place for him. He can he can really thrive. And side note, uh, that was over 10 years ago. And that entire school district uh, has not improved at all. And if anything, has um, gotten much worse. Um, but my mother said, in five years, Walter will either be in jail or in a body bag, and, uh. and we certainly don't have time for that. And so with a little bit of digging, she found out about the Ed Choice Scholarship Program in Ohio. And uh, I quickly, quickly found myself in a small private Christian school where um, I really I really thrived in, in my educational um, environment and journey. I was held back uh, going in because I was so far behind. Um, but we, we got, we got me caught up and, and you fast forward a little bit. I graduated high school, graduated college, which statistically was not the expectation. 
in my community. And it's, it's just so, so disappointing that so many children slipped through the cracks. And so then uh, started advocating and sharing my story and, and the importance and the difference that school choice made in my life. Didn't know that it was very uh, political issue. I, I, I didn't grow up in a political family, so had no experience there. But as I began to, to do more research and share my story more, I realized that I had a unique space um, or a unique voice in this space because I'm someone who has firsthand experience. Mm-hmm. So uh, switch career paths. Uh, I got my degree in journalism, wanted to go into the sports world and um, be a PR person and hang out with professional athletes all day. Um, <laughs> but but realized that this is a, a, a massive issue in, in our country. And so after graduating college, maybe three weeks after graduating, uh, packed up my Chevy Cruze and, and drove to D.C., where I joined AFC full time. That was a little over three years ago. And and now advocating for students to have the same the same opportunity that that I did and it was really cool six months in on the job uh, young kid fresh out of college found myself sitting next to President Trump um, at the White House discussing um, the issues of education in our country and how school choice can can help fix some of those things and he asked me he said well you have a great story you know what do you have planned for the rest of your life and my first pro- professional job, so I was going to give a professional answer, but instead what came out of my mouth was, I'm coming for the White House. And so um, a really cool, really cool experience, really cool journey, and, and all of it is is attributed to my education and, and my parents being able to make that choice for me. Yeah, great story, Walter. Very inspiring. So you wrote a piece in the Washington Examiner, Opposition to School Choice Reeks of Elitism. Elitism. Maybe you can tell us about it. Yeah, and and I've been seeing this for as long as I've been in this movement, which has been almost 15 years now, a little bit longer. And one thing that we see a lot of is is people often, very often, either either politicians or or wealthy people, um, the haves of the world will say, uh, "Well, you know, I went to I went to private school, but but my parents paid for it," or you know, people and families, they already have school choice. They can pick whatever school that they want. They could they can move wherever they want to go to to be in a better school. And it's it's a it's a, a talking point that falls flat on 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 parents and families who are desperate for options, specifically uh, lower income families like like mine was. And um, and then you have a guy who is running for lieutenant governor in Texas who's trying to coin the phrase um vouchers are for vultures yeah. and um, i had some fun with that on twitter but i'm I'm just like think about it right like for for someone like me right who in his eyes would be a vulture right i needed a way out yeah it, and it's not a political talking point it's not um anything more than just i needed another opportunity and so you have a lot of politicians who will deny children and families to have the same access that they do. And, and it's, it's disappointing to, to see. And it's, it's very, very frustrating because that's a slap in the face to the parents and families that are working three or four jobs like my parents did just to keep food on the table. Right. We shouldn't be we shouldn't have to ask for a high quality education. And, and when the elites and, and the people who are wealthy who can move into the uh, million dollar homes with the very, very high performing public schools, um, that's that's few and far between, um, yeah. and for the for the middle class, for the real Americans who are 
you know, feeling the impacts of, of our society and, and, and where we are as a country. And so when people tell me that, it's it's absolutely frustrating and it's insulting. And then you have some people who say, well, how do we know that parents, you know, these these lower income parents can make the, the right decision for, for their children? And, and, it, and it's so, so bizarre to me because it's like, so do you think that only rich people want what's best for <laughs> for their children, right? Like, do you only think that wealthy people are able to decide um, what what is good and what's not for for their child? And so, um, it's it's honestly at this point to be really, uh, honest, I'm 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 very tired of that. I'm yeah. very tired. I'm very frustrated of of that argument because it's like once unless you've lived and you know. Uh, a two-bedroom house with with five other siblings and it's loud and there's no space and you got to go to a school that's basically falling apart every single day like that that talking point and that argument is is that's, definitely uh, an insult. that's right and most people when they uh, have if they have kids start looking around for homes where that have are in a good school system so that your zip code pretty much determines the quality of your education and i walter i think you make such a great point and i also i think uh you're a great spokesperson for the uh, movement the school choice movement uh, we have a great organization here in our community called the uh, florida citizens alliance that does so much to improve the quality of education in florida and also create a uh, school choice that's goflca.com i hope people check it out uh, what is the uh, website for the American Federation for Children? It is federationforchildren.org, all spelled out. All right, perfect. Walter, I just genuinely appreciate uh, your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Take care. My, my pleasure indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Michael Cannon. He is the Director of Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Finish what you started with the Hodges University Wheel. You can complete your bachelor's degree in as little as one year with your previously earned credits. What's the wheel? It's a customized bachelor's degree in organizational management. Learn about and apply the business, management, and leadership skills you need to advance your career. You can get unmatched educational experience with classes held once a week on campus in Fort Myers, in Port Charlotte, or Naples. You'll be immersed in classes taught by professors with real-world experience in the areas of business, management, and leadership. This degree can be applied to all areas of professional career. Learn more by calling 239-938-7700. That's 239-938-7700. Or visit Hodges.edu. Stay near and go far with Hodges University. 
back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And you can find out more and visit the website. Get tickets well as well, gulfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. Right now we have with us Michael Cannon. Is Michael is the director of health policy study at the Cato Institute. Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Great to be here, Bob. Thank you, Michael. So um, I was looking forward to the conversation. Of, you know, it's the uh, opioid epidemic here in the United States. It's killing thousands, tens of thousands of people, and we've got open borders and all kinds of problems contributing to uh, this. And I just wanted to get your thoughts on this. Well, uh, the opioid epidemic is a huge problem. It's largely a problem the government created. The uh, iron law of prohibition is that the more you prohibit a substance like a drug, the more potent the drug that is on the market will become because it's easier to conceal a more potent drug than it is a less potent drug. Think about it. If, if you've ever known anyone who's tried to sneak alcohol into a sporting event or a theater, did they sneak in a can of beer? No, they snuck in a flask of liquor because liquor is more potent. It is easier to conceal as a result, uh, easier to evade detection. And the same thing happens with illicit drugs when the government prohibits opioid, uh, recreational opioid use. What ends up happening is in order to deliver the same hit to people, uh, the makers of these illicit drugs try to make them more and more potent, and that's why so many of them have re- resorted to fentanyl right now. And that is such a potent uh, drug that it is killing people. If the government were not prohibiting uh, the recreational use of opioids, then manufacturers could make them uh, in, in, uh, with, with higher quality controls uh, and in doses that were safe because they wouldn't be afraid of detection and constantly be trying to make uh, be trying to make them more and more potent uh, to uh, evade or, uh, arrest. Well, I think you make a good, a good case for uh, drug legalization, and I get that. And uh, the problem that I see right now is you have the Chinese Communist Party uh, actually funneling these uh, opioids, fentanyl, into the United States through uh, through the Mexican border. And I, I, I don't think they're trying to run a legitimate business. I think they're trying to kill Americans. Well, I'm not sure if it's the Communist Party itself, yeah. uh, but uh, certainly a lot of fentanyl is coming from China. Yeah. And you mentioned before that uh, you mentioned it's coming across the Mexican border. You mentioned that's not the only way it's coming. It's coming through the mail. Uh, and uh, you mentioned before that it's getting in because we have open borders. Yeah, we don't have open borders at all. We have very rigid restrictions on uh, on immigration. We have uh, laws that prohibit the uh, the importation or smuggling of these drugs into the country, uh, and and so we have a very closed border when it comes to uh, to these substances. But the stuff is still getting through, and because it always will. If you look at prisons. In the United States, federal prisons, state prisons, 
they have the tightest borders. They have the tightest security. Absolutely nothing illegal is supposed to get into those places, and yet illicit drugs are still getting into prisons. Mm-hmm. If we can't keep the drugs out of prisons, we're not ever going to keep them out of the country. And so, uh, so if we want to address illicit drug use, if we want to address uh, the harms that come from recreational use of opioids and other drugs, we have to take a, an approach, not a prohibition, because that's clearly not working, that's driving people to more and more uh, potent drugs and driving the deaths that come from uh, opioid overdoses. We need to focus on a strategy of harm reduction. And that includes measures like the, the type that Governor Gavin Newsom of California just vetoed. He vetoed legislation that would have authorized what we call safe consumption sites in three cities in California. Uh, these, are, these are places that they take some of the danger out or some of the risk out of illicit drug use. They are uh, places where uh, recreational drug users can go, get their drugs tested to see if there's fentanyl in there. If there is, they throw the drugs out. Uh, uh, they can uh, get help uh, with uh, taking those drugs. They will provide clean needles and uh, alcohol swabs to make sure they don't get infection. That's another serious uh, risk uh, of illicit drug use that is largely created by prohibition. And if someone does overdose, they have drugs like naloxone and and medical professionals on hand to help reverse that overdose. I have been to one of these safe injection sites in Vancouver, British Columbia. Mm -hmm. And I have to tell you, it was a moving experience because it it was the, uh, not not only was was this entire organization dedicated to saving the lives of people that the rest of society has sort of dehumanized and marginalized and and, and cast off to the side. But for those people, this is the only place, for those recreational drug users, this is the only place in their entire lives where people treat them as full human beings, where people treat them as respect rather than trying to hunt them down and put them in jail because the, the, the drug that they use recreationally is different from the one that you might use recreation. Yeah, so I, I think you're making a good co- uh, good uh, case for legalization and for choice and so forth. Uh, the problem is that in many cases, we have these homeless people that the reason why they're homeless is they've been using the drugs and that they've destroyed their lives as a result of the consequences of their living, they're homeless. And in, in some cases, uh, doing exactly what you say just feeds the, uh, the, uh, feeds the Leviathan. One of the other certain uh, things that happens at these safe consumption sites is that they provide social services for the people who come in there. Yeah. If you don't have those sorts of uh, those sorts of facilities, then drug users will be out on the street uh, uh, sharing needles, overdosing, and dying. But if you bring them in, not only can you prevent that from happening, you can connect them to su- the support they need to get off the street. Yeah. And at the the safe consumption site I visited in Vancouver, it's called Insight. Uh, they uh, will connect you to uh, uh, people that help you will help you find a job. There are people who are working in that facility who used to be the clients who would come in to use drugs, but eventually got hired by uh, by that facility and now help others and earn a living doing it. 
And so if you if you want to help get those people off the street, then you need, first of all, the site, this facility will help them, will get them off the streets and have them use drugs in a safer place. But it'll also reconnect them to society and to people who can help them get off the streets permanently. Yeah, so interesting, Michael Cannon. Again, I forgot to mention uh, the director of health policy studies at the Cato Institute. Cato Institute is extremely libertarian. It's a live and let live type of organization, basically uh, allowing protecting uh, people's rights and uh, their their freedom. And uh, certainly you're speaking now, of course, of legalization of drugs, which, by the way, I agree with. I just think there's a lot of problems. And you're speaking from being on the other side of solving the problem. Uh, legalization can uh, do a lot to make sure that uh, drugs are clean, they're uh, processed properly, there's not a lot of uh, 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 hazards uh, on the... What am I speaking of now? I'm thinking about the, uh, the, the stuff that's used to grow the... Uh, uh, the, for example, in this case, marijuana. But the point being is that I really appreciate the case that you're making. Something to think about, but we need to solve this problem for sure. Michael Cannon, Director of Health Policy Studies. Check out Cato.org, C-A-T-O dot org. Michael, I really appreciate your commentary. Thanks so much for joining us. Great to be here, Bob. Thanks. Thank you, Michael. All right, coming up, Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. We're going to do that more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Here on the Bob Hartman Broadcasting Network. Finish what you started with a Hodges University wheel. You can complete your bachelor's degree in as little as one year with your previously earned credits. What's the wheel? It's a customized bachelor's degree in organizational management. Learn about and apply the business, management, and leadership skills you need to advance your career. You can get unmatched educational experience with classes held once a week on campus in Fort Myers, in Port Charlotte, or Naples. You'll be immersed in classes taught by professors with real-world experience in the areas of business, management, and leadership. This degree can be applied to all areas of professional career. Learn more by calling 239-938-7700. That's 239-938-7700. Or visit Hodges.edu. Stay near and go far with Hodges University. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty. 
personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Coming up, we're going to visit with the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. Right now we have with us Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. Seton, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Seton. Tell us about Less Government. Yeah, we exist to reduce the size, scope, and sphere of influence of government, and right now it's looking like me, you, and my dog. Are the only ones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just watch government expanding. I can't even believe this uh Educate this uh, loan uh, forgiveness for the for yes. just unbelievable. Nothing like making high school pl- uh, graduate plumbers and electricians <laughs> pay for Harvard uh, PhD. <laughs> so uh, you wrote a column. Harvard, by the way, with a forty billion dollar endowment. I know it's and t- we're giving them more money. I know. Well, so you wrote a column on a different topic, which I want to talk about, which is most uh, uh, U.S. green energy subsidies. Go to communist China. Maybe you could tell us about it. Yeah, you know, it's it, again, nothing in this bill is what it, it says it is. The, 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 the uh, Inflation Reduction Act, of course, doesn't, you know, it spends $700 billion at least. Uh, so that's the antithesis of inflation reduction. Uh, almost $100 billion of it or so, maybe even a little more, goes to fake energy, to green energy. And they even have $60 billion of it dedicated to onshore manufacturing of, of green energy. But there's been a scam going on in green energy from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. They, I call it the, la, you know, the, the uh, last step to domestic, where, especially with solar panels, I know this for a fact, there's a $28 billion solar panel energy, of course, propped up entirely with government money, but not just U.S. government money, it's Chinese government money, too. What happens in the solar panel industry, and I'm sure a lot of other industries that are supposed to be made in America, they make 98% of it in communist China, and then they import it to the U.S., tighten two screws, and poof, <laughs> presto, it's magically made in America. Finished in America. <laughs> and, and so that was exposed by Trump. He imposed tariffs on solar panels because uh, i wrote a column i don't know a year ago that's china's slave labor coal-fired mass subsidized solar panels dominate the planet um they they of course use slave labor they use coal-fired power plants to power the manufacture of solar panels then they mass subsidize them so that when they go to market the global market they can charge an artificially low price, way below the market price. And the entire, not the entire U.S. quote-unquote solar industry is predicated around importing these things and then selling them. Mm-hmm. That's not a domestic, you know, industry. No. That's a bunch of companies going to China, negotiating a deal, and then importing them into the United States. And I'm quite well, uh, Satan, I'm, I'm I'm quite certain that, uh, of course, communist China or these uh, where they're produced, they use clean energy, windmills, sun, sunbeams. No, beams. they use coal plants. <laughs> and, and there's another there's another wrinkle I'll get to in a second. So of course, Trump imposes these tariffs, and the headlines immediately are you're threatening the domestic solar industry, and I'm and I'm like I remember at the time thinking. How the hell are you uh, damaging a domestic industry with foreign tariffs? Right. Unless it's not a domestic industry. 
That's just obvious to me. Right. So the tariffs obviously apply to China. Almost They were on all solar panels everywhere, but the vast majority are made in China. So it was, it was, it was a de facto China tariff, in, in, even if it wasn't in name, right. you know, a, um, a China tariff. So, so, this, so that exposed the whole fakeness of the domestic solar industry. So now, of course, if you're going to dump $60 billion of additional subsidies into the quote-unquote domestic solar industry, where's the money going to actually go? Yeah. China. Yeah. Point to China. We're subsidizing China. Now, here's a fun wrinkle. China, in 2020, started defaulting on its green energy subsidies. And then in 2021, pulled the plug entirely. Mm. And by, by that, I mean subsidies for domestic use. Solar subsidies for Chinese solar power and Chinese wind power. They they basically stopping the farce yeah. in China, but they'll certainly continue to subsidize the manufacture of wind turbines and solar panels to sell to us idiots in the West. They're just they get that it doesn't work, and they're not playing that game anymore domestically. They they got to be laughing all the way to the bank. Unbelievable. They watch these uh, Americans, you know, feeding the, this stupid green energy leviathan. And uh, watch- I said we'll be we'll be at war with China in twenty years, and it'll be the first first war in human history where one side funded both sides of the war. <laughs> You're absolutely right. It's not funny. It's but it's it, it's clever, but it's not funny. It's really sad, is what it is, and yeah. uh, unbelievable. Seton Motley again, the founder and president of Less Government. I encourage you to check out Seton's writings. He's got some great columns. You can go to lessgovernment.org. Lessgovernment.org is the website. You can also f- uh, find Less Government on Facebook. Seton, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much, sir. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting uh, with Bill Barnett, former mayor of Naples. I look forward to his comments. Always interesting things happening locally. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. you have questions about your retirement, Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor.
Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. Just attended one of their board meetings yesterday, creating policies and programs, among other things, to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. We have with us the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. Bill, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, Bob, my pleasure, uh, and a good morning to you down there in sunny Naples, Florida. <laughs> Thank you. Just reminding us that you're uh, up in uh, colder climes up there in uh, in New- cool. upstate New York. Cool, cool climes. Uh, I wouldn't say colder, but definitely uh, cool 68 this morning, and that's pretty nice to come out to, you know. Absolutely. But, um, yeah, I'll be back soon. What? Um, so tell me about your golf game. I really need to know. It's been... I mean, you know, you you hurt your hip and and you had a whole hip surgery and you were wondering back then after the surgery, you said, I don't know, Bill, um, you know, uh, you weren't looking out too far ahead with your golf game. But tell me, do uh, you played for the first time? Well, you know what, Bill, uh, thanks for asking. Uh, I did have my hip replaced in June. Uh, I did go out and play and take some practice swings. I said, well, you know, I didn't die. Everything's okay so far. <laughs> so so uh, yeah, I went out to play with a friend on uh, uh, Tuesday and I was able to play five holes. But afterwards, you know what? My endurance has totally been dis- dissipated. It's just... Uh, well, I never considered golf to be a difficult game in terms of stamina, but <laughs> I've really well, lost my yeah. stamina. And hey, first of all, it's hot. You haven't done it in months and months and months. Uh, I'm sure your swing is going to change now that you can hopefully swing pain-free and uh, um, your game will improve. But, you know, you can't expect to go out there and uh, say, I'm going to play 18 today, maybe play another nine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right, and uh, but I'm just grateful. To your point, just grateful to go out and be able to do this without pain. I was just in terrible pain before the, the uh, surgery, so now I don't right. have pain, but I don't have stamina either. So we got to work on the stamina. Well, the stamina you can get back. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm 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 optimistic. <laughs> oh, thank thank you, Phil. Hey, I wanted to ask you about the the elections, the local elections here in Florida and uh, here in Collier County. Just want to get your thoughts. Well, we're on opposite side with the school board, but other than that, uh, I mean, uh, the runoffs uh, in the school board, uh, which is interesting, um, and uh, some of the others were. Listen, let's face it. I. I you know, they were Alf, Alfie's people did very well. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, 
you know the things down there bob i i just um i see some of the candidates uh that uh, lost i mean i was uh michelle mcleod put up a great fight she was uh you know um for commission and um he put a great fight up there she, you know penny taylor's got to be devastated yeah you know what i mean I think I think Penny actually just paid. I think she paid the price for uh, masking up and uh, locking down. Uh, that, right. I think that that all splashed on her, and people didn't forget. No, I know, and and yeah, and and you know there was it was a nasty, so nasty, Bob. I mean, we've seen over the years, over the years, we've seen a lot of nasty. Uh, uh, We've seen a lot of nasty campaigns, yeah. you know, uh, local and, uh, um, but, but, uh, this was, I think one of the worst I've ever seen. Really? Yeah. People, yeah. people are losing their, uh, uh <laughs> losing their, their, uh, gentleman behavior, so to speak. I mean, uh, it's, it's just unbelievable what people will do and the names that they'll call each other and the ad, ad hominem attacks, uh, unbelievable, but nevertheless, I mean, uh, one of the questions I have for you, you brought up Alfie Oaks. He's appearing to have a lot of, uh, uh clout, political clout here in the County. Uh, I'm not going to say it's good or bad. I, well, I personally uh, like Alfie and I think he's a good guy and I think I, I appreciate his point of view. Uh, but I realize everybody doesn't. What do you think about that? Do you think he has a lot of political well, clout? Well, um, I, I, I do. I would use the term. Um, I would use the term kingmaker. You know, um, he wanted to get involved, and he did. I mean, I've known Alfie's family, Bob, since I moved here. Yeah. You know, almost years, and I knew Alfie when he was growing up, and uh, uh, he is a good guy. You can always find him out there at see the table, smiling, watching what's going on. Right. Uh, he's he's a very very astute businessman. Um, he lets it known. He lets it be known who he likes and who he doesn't, and why he does and doesn't. And um, you know, can't can't fault him for that. No, um, we the, the the proof in the pudding, Bob, is see what these people do. They get I think this is really the first time that uh, you know it's been this magnitude as far as uh, candidates and getting involved the way he did in all in all these candidates. Let's see what kind of job they do. Yeah, you, that, great point. I mean, he's, he was elected the uh, state committeeman, uh, which is, I guess, kind of an entry-level elected position uh, in the party. And, uh, you know, but I, I just think uh, I think people, if you're planning on running for office, I think one of the visits you want to make is to Alfie Oaks <laughs> and, and let, yeah. them, let them know what your thoughts are. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, I see poor Reg... Uh, uh, I think he'll be done with politics now. Yeah. Um, I think he's he's probably had enough. Um, and, um, you know, it was interesting. Now we got to see what's going to happen at uh, halftime, I guess you call it, at, in November with uh, in the national uh, scene as well. I mean, you're watching some of that. It's good God, Bob. It's crazy. Just yeah. absolutely crazy. I see Charlie Crist's going to be. Taking on Ron DeSantis. Yeah, Charlie Chris, the uh, I call him a chameleon. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, he he's disappeared for quite some time. I mean, gosh, I remember him, you know, and all of a sudden, here he is back again. And uh, you think it'll be a race, Bob? No, I don't. I don't think he has a prayer. 
quite frankly. He said uh, he was asked a question. I saw saw he was asked a question on CNN, I think it was, or one of these other stations. And uh, what do you think about having uh, the support of President Joe Biden? And he said, I would really appreciate, you know, he's been one of the greatest presidents in our time. Oh, oh, man. I I started to laugh, but it was just incredible. I mean, I said, and and I don't know if you think he understands this, but my goodness, if if you say something like that, I mean, automatically, I I want him as far away from the governorship here in Florida as he could possibly be. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. A lot's going on, I'll tell you. But um, Naples seems to be rolling along. Uh, uh, I see some homes are up for sale, which it seems the market is not softening for sure. Um, but um, huh. uh, really seems to be still pretty good. Yeah, really, that's an interesting observation because uh, a lot of the countries are right, right now just dead in terms of uh, real estate sales. The interest rates have gone up and the consequences of sales have gone way down. I would imagine right. I would imagine the time on market is increasing, but uh, your thoughts are it's not happening here in Naples. I think Naples is still pretty strong. I mean, I I, I just I haven't seen evidence otherwise. Uh, I have a lot of realtor friends, and and um, you know they're they they still are busy. That's great. Uh, so and you know it's off season, so we'll we'll just see what happens. Um, whatever it is, Bob, Naples is 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 always going to remain at the top of the board. You know that. Absolutely. So, Bill, before I let you go, any good scoop uh, locally uh, with, with regard to well, this? Well, yeah, I, I could give you one that I've never in all my years in politics seen before. The new city manager, um, he, uh, last week, after that rough meeting they had, um, he he sent a, a text to the mayor and council, I guess, on uh, Thursday morning, about 5.30 a.m., and said he's taking a week off. He's going up to visit his kids in New York, I guess, and um, which is fine. I mean, he's got time and whatever, but he never put anybody in charge when he left. Usually you 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 have an interim manager like he would say the utilities director or the human resources manager or fire chief or whatever it is. He did not put anybody in charge of wow. staff. Well, we'll see what <laughs> happens. See what happens. See if there's any repercussions on that one. But, Bill, you know, I always appreciate your commentary here on this show. I hope we'll we'll always look forward to Thursday morning and talking to you. Hey, ditto, Bob, and uh, take care. And if you hit that ball again, maybe you'll get six holes in. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much, Bill. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did. We've got some great guests lined up for you tomorrow, including... William Yateman, Research Fellow at the Cato Institute, will be talking about what's happening on Capitol Hill. Larry Bell is endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture and author of many books. His latest is Architectures Beyond Boxes and Boundaries. Uh, I read the book. It's just really terrific. Brad Palumbo is the uh, domestic correspondent for the Foundation for Economic Education. will be joining us. And Timothy Head will be with us as well. Always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. Bobharden at hotmail.com. Also, if you enjoy the show, tell your friends. Uh, we could appreciate, uh, I'm sure advertisers would appreciate additional patronage. Uh, I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much.
much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.